Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park My only concern is making sure my microphone doesn't fall down because I'm on my bed and it's, <laughs> I have no place to sit in my bedroom other than my bed. And so it's like leaning towards me because of my weight, my gravitational oh my God, pull, friend. my gravi- oh, yeah, gravitational yeah. pull is moving the microphone towards myself. Well, which is, the, uh, the, the, uh, what's it called? The freaking blanket thing where Bobby was like talking about the marbles. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And the marbles. That's yeah, yeah, the marbles like, in the blanket to illustrate gravity or whatever. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. basically what's happening on my bed right now. Is, is well, I am the black hole. <laughs> you're, you're the bowling ball. This is going to be weird for our viewers because it sounds to them like we're all in the same room. We'll see. We really yeah. don't know this. We if really don't know this right well. now. Let's hope that that's what's happening. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yes, we are recording this podcast remotely from the comfort of our own bedrooms, which is I know. really uh, this is the first. Well, it's not our first remote remote, but it's our first where everybody's gone. It's a fully remote. Mm. Fully this weirdly remote. feels more natural than when we did the uh, recordings with you oh, at UConn, Jack. It, it feels way better, than yeah. doesn't it? Because well, I'm not in some random room at in the library, you know. Yeah. Like that would. And suck. also, we're all on the same level, you yes. know. That is true. I did feel like it was like it, it felt really goofy looking down on you. Yeah, I don't know what it is angle. with our work webcam that has to be pointed in this weird, like leering <laughs> angle, but it's, it's really just funny. it's never been fixed, and it never will be. It's because I, I use it to spy on uh, Zach D when I'm working remotely. <laughs> no, it is kind of funny when you do that. That's yeah. pretty good. All right. So um, just wanted to give a little update on the last episode, Cosmic Collisions. We didn't mm. die. We're yeah, also so here. NASA didn't lie. So we can all trust NASA, everybody. Don't worry about it. Finally. But what are, we, uh, what are we talking about? We can trust NASA oh. for now. Right, yes. for now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, That's they're right. gaining our trust so that we can uh, trust them. And just when we do. Like, they just do these little things that build up, and then it's all going to come cl- falling down. Yeah. Classic abusive relationship, you know. They, they keep just beating you down. They give you that one little morsel of something that lets you make you, makes you think they love you. And no. then they're going to hit you again. Fred, oh. though. Oh, it's oh, bad. Man. It's Probably bad. Fun. First, they give you a morsel. Then they move up to Hershey's Kisses. And then... Ew. 
You get those big old ones eventually. You get the king size get, candy Is morsel a size of Hershey's Kiss? Morsels you know. are like the little baby chocolate chips that you put in cookies. Oh, that's okay. a morsel. <laughs> yeah. Is that the actual that's a textbook definition of morsel? I might be wrong, but uh, I, I'm I pretty Google sure. Morsel. Let's get into the topic while I Google morsel. Yeah. yeah so, what are we talking um, about today? What we're talking about has nothing to do with morsels. What we're actually <laughs> talking about today is Robert Durst, or specifically, <laughs> Fred I mean, Durst. Yeah, Fred Durst's father, Robert Durst, who the is it actually no, murder- not, no, right? no, no relation. <laughs> okay, no relation. <laughs> that would be Don't amazing. worry, no one's gonna end up with a fat lip here today. You know, because it's all about the he said, she said. A small piece or amount of food, a mouthful, a small piece oh. or amount. Interesting. Well, th- there you go. There you have it. But again, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Robert Durst. <laughs> well, and, I just needed to know. Yeah, I know. I needed to know, too. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So, in case any of you guys are not familiar or haven't seen the docuseries on HBO, The Jinx, colon, The Life and Deaths of Robert Durst, we're going to be talking about this like really bizarre story of Robert Durst and everything surrounding this guy because um, it gets he's a, it's a weird story. Um, Bobby, I know you've seen the uh, docu-series. Oh, I have, and it is just wild. It is the most insane thing, and you think it's, like, scripted because it's just that, like, good, but it's yeah. not. It's it's just the story of this guy. Even and, more uh, so than the Tiger King? Yeah, that's kind of what made me want to do this episode. Also, the episode I was researching was not really ready in time for this week, so... <laughs> This one, I've seen this show probably like five or six times now, so it didn't take a lot of work for me to throw this one together. So she emailed us too. back, by the way. No, she did. Yeah, I started going oh, okay. through it. She sent us like a lot of really good stuff, so I didn't yeah. want to like throw it together, you know, because yeah, I yeah, did a bunch sure. of research on the topic that will be coming out for next week. But um, I really want the, the viewer who sent us all that stuff, sent a lot of really cool stuff, so I wanted to make sure I had time to digest all that info. But um, justice. Yeah, exactly. But um, so, yeah. So instead of doing that one, we're doing this one, which also, again, like so I believe it was Jack who just mentioned Tiger King. That's kind of partly what put this in my brain again, because mm-hmm. I feel like Tiger King in a lot of ways tried to follow the mold of this docuseries. Um, yeah. and I feel like a lot of docuseries since have tried to sort of capture a row. Sorry, I had an alarm to remind me that we were recording the pod. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> but I put it for the wrong time, apparently. Hey, Bobby. <laughs> Hey, Bobby, we're recording the pod. Oh, thanks for a reminder. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I'm that guy. Cool. But anyway. Yeah, so I feel like a lot of these sort of like true crimey sort of docuseries have tried to like ape what uh, uh, the Jinx did. And so this one was kind of like the OG, I feel like, in this sense. And everyone's been sort of trying to top it since. And I don't think anyone has, personally. I agree. I, it's, Even Tiger King, as fun as that was, it was more just like a mess. It was just like a yeah. mess, a messy mess. And it, yeah, Tiger for, King was like the Jinx, but like the the Ocean State job lot version. Like the, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> like like the Jinx was just now to me. Perfect. The Jinx was like you know like the TMZ version of the Jinx. Like if TMZ yeah, yeah, made yeah. the Jinx, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. It's, oh uh, man. All right, well, we should probably introduce ourselves because I, yeah. I practiced this for uh, okay. many mic tests. I'm hoping you didn't take the one that I'm going to do, but I do have a backup just in case, so this, go That's for it. The, the bad part about us having the same uh, first letter in our names. Yeah, multiple Bs leads to broken hearts. I am your body of the baby. 
Bobby. Okay, that that's a nice one. That's a really mm. nice one. Okay, so mm. it wasn't mine. Mine is I'm just your block letters, B. <laughs> Prince. <laughs> oh my god. Um that'll work I if mean, you've seen it. I mean Jack, yours is right there. I'm your jinx J yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Perfect. And he did it. That's now, all for Jack, us, folks. you haven't seen this, right? No. I've so, seen the clips that you guys have shown me, but I haven't seen um, the, the show. full series. The full so know, series. We've already spoiled it for Jack, but I just want to put out a big spoiler alert because if you haven't seen this, this one. is like the most. Uh, I think you sh- if you don't like spoilers, like you really should watch it before you listen to this podcast because it has the biggest spoiler of like anything to me yeah i mean basically i mean the funny thing is too is um i did some research about what's happened since the documentaries come come out and the ending of this documentary has sort of like a direct effect on like what happens beyond it so um yeah it literally it has like a jaw-dropping ending so if you haven't seen it it's on hbo so if you have hbo now or if you're an animal and you still have cable and you have hbo go watch it there's only six episodes they're like 40 minutes each if you or, know uh, where to find shows, if you get my meaning, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, I can't endorse that. <laughs> no, we would never That's endorse illegal. that. I cannot Especially, endorse that. <laughs> we will definitely not endorse it if any streaming service wants us to shamelessly sell out to them. Yeah, or if you know, <laughs> HBO wants to sponsor us, per se. You you know, listen, you I would never suggest that you could watch the show anywhere else. Could you imagine if HBO sponsored us? That'd be sick. They should, honestly. Sick. We've given them so much business, probably. If anyone would sponsor us, it's Netflix, because we we own Brentflix. And That's true. They want to buy it out. They want to buy it out. There have been offers. And we're and we're only gonna we say, we're gonna have to say like oh in the in the deal is a sponsorship deal that's so yeah. weird. <laughs> All well, right, let's like dive into this world because yeah. oh man, I was like looking at some of the synapses of this today, a, and it was bringing yeah. back the uh, memories of watching it. And oh yeah. man, yeah, I considered rewatching the whole thing, but I, I sort of just kind of jumped around a little bit. And then mm-hmm. kind of just did my own independent research. But first, let's kind of just let's just explain who Robert Durst is to begin with. So, because if, yes. if you're not familiar, you're probably wondering who is this Robert Durst? Why should I even care about this person we're talking about, right? Mm. So, Robert Durst is the heir to a New York real estate fortune um, from his father Seymour Durst. So basically, he's from this family that is like they're billionaires that like own tons of property throughout New York City. So like all these buildings in like Times Square and the, sorry, the Avenue of the Americas, all these like huge office buildings and shit that you think of when you think of New York, they own those buildings. Mm-hmm. So this guy is the eldest son of that family who was supposed to be the heir to that fortune and be sort of like take the reins as the leader of the um, Durst organization, which is the business that controls this real estate. Mm-hmm. But um, by all accounts, uh, Bob Durst, if you will, we'll call him Bob. He likes to be called Bob. Sorry, Bob. <laughs> Sorry, our Bob, but... <laughs> it's okay. By all accounts, uh, Bobby Durst was a bit of a odd, an odd child. Uh, he had uh, three other siblings, including his uh, the second uh, eldest brother, Douglas, who we'll come to hear more about. Because um, Robert didn't really get along with any of his siblings. He was kind of like known as a very kind of strange loner child. Mm-hmm. Kind of no one could really communicate well with him. 
He was just kind of the black black sheep of his family, sort of. Basically, he was a black sheep sort of guy in his family, even from a very young age. But nevertheless, he was the eldest and was supposed to be the heir to this fortune. And um, as a child, um, just a little background on this guy to kind of maybe give you a sense of what makes this guy tick. Um, When Robert was uh, seven years old, his mother died as a result of a fall from their family's Scarsdale, New York home. What? No way! Completely forgot about this. (laughs) Yes. I know a kid from Scarsdale. Oh, really? I know my Yes, I have a friend at college who's from Scarsdale. No. Dang. Shizzle. (laughs) Small world, man. Maybe they were neighbors. Who knows? If so. Wait, so this billionaire family lived in Scarsdale? Yeah, they had a home in Scarsdale, New York. That makes a lot of sense uh, because this kid comes from money, so Scarsdale... Well, shout out to you and your money, but uh, Jack's friend. <laughs> I can't believe that I forgot about this because, like, they they do a reenactment in the show and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of yes. like this happening, and 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 I don't know, I don't remember if you said this already, but Robert witnesses the no, death so, of his mom, so right? Here's yeah, here's the thing. So, like like I said, it, this happened like in the middle of the night, um, where um, his mother supposedly. Uh, it it's a weird story because like you can't really get an exact recounting of what actually happened. Like, the Durst mm. family said it was an accident. She was trying to fix something on the roof in the middle of the night in her, like, mm. nightgown and stuff, <laughs> which doesn't really track. Most people yeah. suspect it was a suicide, that she, you know, right. went up there and jumped to her death. But Robert claims that he, that his father, Seymour, led him to a window and showed him, like, hey, look, there's your mm. mommy up on the roof. And then he says he saw her jump off. And fall to her death, which is a uh, that's a pretty big yikes for anybody. Um, yeah, that's weird. that's the biggest red flag of the uh, of the beginning of the show of the century. Like, yeah. Oh, so this kid had some uh, trauma pretty early on. Yeah, at seven years old. Now I should mention that his brother Douglas, along with his other siblings, deny this happened. They say that what happened was. They heard that their mom was on the roof, and then the next thing they knew, they were being escorted out of the house and taken to a neighbor's house. So whether or not it actually happened is still kind of, it's kind of gray. We don't really know. It's kind of, you know, uh, Robert's word against the rest of his family. Mm -hmm. So, but in any case, his mother died one way or another. So that's, you know, obviously a pretty traumatic experience. Whether he saw it or not, that's, you know... We'll never know the truth about that, probably. Um, and the father, the father said that it didn't happen to. We can't really know because his father is dead at this point. Um, oh right, yeah, yeah. So, so he died later. He died later on from I don't remember what how he died, but I I don't really recall either specifically. I'm pretty sure it was like basically natural causes. Um, right, nothing, nothing suspicious or anything. Just kind of old age or some sort of you know. Hmm. You know, just whatever, you know, natural causes. Yeah, he but, was 81 when he died, so he, just right. old age. Yeah, something like that. So, but anyway, in, in the ensuing uh, years after this, you know, Robert was very disturbed by this and became even more or sort of like a black sheep, sort of like retreating inward and stuff. And so his father got him the help of a psychiatrist to sort of like evaluate him to figure out what was going on. And at 10 years old, uh, in a, a report that was uh, found, I guess, by, I don't know, through court hearings and stuff, that um, this psychiatrist said that uh, Robert displayed 
personality decomposition and possibly even schizophrenia. Mm. So, yeah, so, I mean, that's going to sort of track, I feel like, as, like, the story goes <laughs> on with this guy. Maybe not specifically schizophrenia. I don't want to mischaracterize that. But you can tell, like, this this guy has, like, some, like, undiagnosed issues. Thumbs up with his yeah, mind. Yeah. Um, it's uh it's not great so and yeah so eventually as he like grew up he was uh worked into the uh family business working in real estate or whatever but he was never i guess never had his heart in it so eventually when his father was going to step down from the business it was supposed to be robert who took over but his dad ended up turning the business over to his uh second oldest son douglas which what a really classic pissed, situation. Which really <laughs> pissed off Robert and uh, created even more feuding between them, which uh, will manifest in some pretty uh, wild ways as we get further into this story. Um, but first, mm-hmm. let's actually talk about why this... Again, to this point, you're probably like, again, if you don't know the story, you're like, why are we talking about this guy? Like, okay, some rich yeah, boy... Yeah, who is this guy and why should rich, we care about him? Some rich kid who didn't get his way. Like, who cares? So that brings us to our first mysterious disappearance around Robert Durst, and that would be of his wife, Kathy Durst, or Kathy McCormick. First disappearance? Yes, the first <laughs> disappearance. Now, I'm just playing dumb, obviously, because I've seen the show, but right. um, yeah, this is uh, this is kind of this crazy thing about Robert Durst, is that everywhere he goes this very strange thing follows him where people kind of die in every situation <laughs> yeah. that dead. he finds he himself in. Yeah. Like, and I mean, it's, it's very strange. Yeah. That's sort of why they call the docuseries, the jinx, because it's sort mm-hmm. of like, yeah, this guy seems trouble just seems to follow this guy, whether or not mm-hmm. that's a coincidence or not. I think we'll come to find as we discuss this more. Um, but yeah, so in 1971, uh, Robert Durst met Kathleen McCormick, or, or eventually Kathleen Durst, but um, uh, who was a dental hygienist at the time, who was studying to be a doctor at um, uh, what was the school? The Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx, New York. Dang. She was studying to be uh, a pediatrician at the time. So after two dates, Durst asked her to move in with him. And his home that he had in Vermont, where he was opening a health food store because he hated, you know, his family businesses of real estate and was trying to make a health food store instead, because I guess that's more what he was into and what he wanted to do. And so healthy guy, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that gave us more into that, you know. And And everyone knows that you the the second date is the the engagement date. Yeah, that's when you you ask someone to leave New York and move to Vermont with you to open a health food store. Exactly. And, and she said yes. Quinn, strangely enough, uh, she said weird. yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as weird of a guy, like, if you watch the doggy series, like, he's a weird dude, but he's also got sort of, like, a, a charm about him in his weirdness. So, like, a lot of people described him as both, you know, charming, but also, like, very sort of, like, um, cold and mm. sort of uh, grumpy, but also charming. It's a strange combination this guy has. <laughs> It's it's a very weird feeling that you get watching it because you they present him in a at least in the beginning of the show they present him in like sort of a neutral setting like they don't try to like tell you what to think and right. so he is weirdly likable mm-hmm. and it's a very strange feeling because you're watching it like 
knowing the possibility of some of the things he may have done. Mm-hmm. But you're also like, I want to believe what he's saying because mm-hmm. he's kind of chill. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> I didn't quite get the same vibes you did, Bobby, but I know what you mean. Like, there's you don't there's think he's chill. I mean, he's he's got a weirdness to him that's like hard to put your finger on exactly. But what the, he's the also, twitching, Brent? The, the weird hard <laughs> blinking and the burping that comes Dude, later. But hard blinking is the mm-hmm. weirdest thing. I knew a kid who would like like blink, like really blink, mm-hmm. and it's it's the weird. It, you don't realize how unnatural it is until you see someone do it compared yeah. to like a regular blink. Yeah, I have like a twitch where when I like eat way too much sugar or mm. just like in a period of time, I'll like have like that twitch really bad where I kind of do the Robert Durst blink, just clench my eyes. Oh, interesting. See, sometimes mm. when I have too much caffeine, I get the involuntary eyeball twitch. But mm-hmm. oh yeah, the <laughs> yeah, I'm like Ugh. but um yeah. So yeah, and also he's a he's in the docu series. He's got like these sort of like black eyes. It's almost like his like pupils are fully fully dilated. It's very strange. He's <laughs> they got sharp probably eyes. Are known that well, weirdo. there might like be an explanation. Eyes. Yeah, there might be an explanation for that. But I'm going to save that for later because it's uh it's pretty funny. Um, because <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's post documentary that he he said something pretty wild. But anyway, we're we're still kind of getting through this, this oh, whole yeah, backstory yeah, yeah, yeah. here. So back to Robert and Kathy. Um. So they lived in Vermont for a little while, running this little health food store. But eventually his father pressured him, uh, Robert, into moving back into New York to work for the family business. And after a certain amount of time, uh, he kind of succumbed to that and sort of like begrudgingly said yes to going back and closing his uh, health food store so he could work for his father. And then in uh, 1973, him and uh, Kathy got married. So kind of like... A weird situation there to me mm-hmm. like you know like obviously he didn't really want to work for the family business but he did it anyway and so maybe not the happiest way to like start your marriage is by you know doing something you don't want to do and then like yeah dragging <laughs> yeah, your um, your new wife there with you um although she went to school in new york so it wasn't like that strange for her probably but you know right still probably not a best situation for this guy who's already sort of prone to sort of being a dark dude to like Mm -hmm. you know i don't know yeah so they were married for a while uh kathy and uh robert but uh, the marriage by most accounts from people was it was not the best marriage like the two of them fought a lot um there was uh reports of even like abusiveness by robert towards kathy you know like not good physical violence and yeah being very controlling and yeah not very good stuff so all this to say that um kathy eventually disappeared you know (gasps) yeah so in uh january 31st of 1982 kathy was this was the last time kathy was seen and it was by her friend uh gilberta and the jimmy um when uh gilberta was throwing a dinner party when kathy um unexpectedly showed up and this was in uh Newtown, Connecticut, where this happened. She just kind of like showed up unexpectedly. And um, this was very strange, according to Gilberta, because um, she noticed that uh, Kathy was like really upset and she was wearing just kind of like sweatpants and stuff, which is weird for her. Like mm. she was normally like a very, you know, put together kind of person. Like, yeah, kind of person who wouldn't leave their house in sweatpants unless, you know, something weird was up, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
So that was all very odd to her. And then apparently at some point in the evening, while Kathleen was there sort of like hiding out almost, she gets a phone call from Robert Durst at uh, Gilberta's house. And then she leaves the party to head back mm-hmm. to um the home that uh, Durst and uh, Kathleen shared in South Salem, New York. Um, and that was basically the last time anybody saw her. Now, according to Robert... The night that she disappeared, he admitted that the couple had um, gotten into a fight that evening, but that after the fight, he put uh, Kathleen on a train heading to New York City uh, to send her to school for the next day or whatever, because I guess they had an apartment in the city, too, where she would stay sometimes when she was in school. And then afterwards, he went to his neighbor's house to have a drink with him and then supposedly called Kathleen from a payphone after taking his dog for a walk, spoke to her at the uh, Manhattan apartment, and that was the last time he had ever spoken to her, supposedly. According to Robert Durst, this is his timeline of events. And I guess um, something we should kind of, like, also describe is, in the documentary, mm-hmm. they are literally interviewing Robert Durst. Like, he yes. is telling this story his side of the story mm-hmm. of the last time he talked to, to Kathy right. like on the phone and like it, and it's in a very extreme detail. It's kind of amazing almost like mm-hmm. how much he remembers of those moments in his life. And it was like what 30 years ago or, or whatever, uh, right. 40 yeah, years ago like almost probably 30. Yeah. It was a uh, 1982 when it happened. The documentary came out in 2015. Mm-hmm. So you know, around yeah, 30, 30 years. years. Yeah. But um, some of his details sort of changed as he told his story. So at a certain point, you know, when the police eventually spoke with the neighbor, the neighbor said, oh, Robert never came over and had a drink with me. Like, I almost never talked to Robert. I don't know what he's talking about. And then later, mm-hmm. Robert said, oh, I didn't call from the payphone. I called from home. You know, like his story changed a bit. So there's some discrepancy <sighs> there. Yeah, there's some discrepancy there on his part. Um, then other details that make it suspicious is that, um, Kathy was supposed to meet up with her friend Gilberta Najimi, um, at a bar called the Lion's Gate in Manhattan after she left that party that night Mm -hmm. and she never showed up, which was also very concerning to, uh, Gilberta. And then, so Gilberta proceeded to call the police like multiple times over the course of several days before anything was done. And it wasn't, and nothing was done until um, days later when Durst himself filed a missing persons report, and that's when they finally started sort of looking into like what happened. Is this person missing? Where did she go? So hmm. supposedly, according to the doorman and the building superintendent at the apartment that um, she would stay at when she was in the city, um, they claimed that they saw Kathleen there on february 1st which would have been the next day after she you know was the last seen alive quote unquote um but on later accounts they both sort of recanted that and saying that they saw someone they thought maybe was her but it was from like a block away so they couldn't actually confirm whether or not it was kathleen or not interesting yeah very there's all kinds of very very strange just like things like that with this story with kathleen well, I mean, think about like your own life, right? Do you remember mm. who you saw 
walking down the street last Thursday and like right. what time and how far away you were. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's so interesting when you kind of look at these cases yeah. where people have to recall things that were so specific. And mm-hmm. I I couldn't tell you what I did yesterday, like half the time. <laughs> yeah, right. So no. it's it's just kind of crazy when people, uh, you know, account for these things that they probably don't actually remember. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. It's definitely very, very interesting. Speaking mm-hmm. of interesting details, so I mentioned before that uh, their relationship, Kathy and Roberts, was not the best. Yeah. So it, when the uh, police started investigating into her disappearance, trying to figure out what was going on there, it came uh, to the surface that Kathy had been treated at the Bronx Hospital for facial bruises three weeks before her disappearance. <gasps> no. She told a friend that Durst beat her, but did not press charges over the incident. Oh my god, I forgot about this. Yeah, here's the thing: like some of these details, like that are that I found in my research, weren't not all of them were in the documentary. So, like, I also yeah. didn't really remember that. I know that there was evidence of abuse and stuff, but mm-hmm. some of these details were not as clearly laid out. I don't think. But um, um, and after that, Kathy had asked. Uh, Robert for a $250,000 divorce settlement. As a result, Durst canceled his wife's credit card, removed her name from their joint bank account, and refused to pay her medical school tuition. Oh, so, no. Got very That's contentious very good. fast. Yeah. He's basically saying, like, oh, I have control over everything you do, so, like, don't yeah. do this or I'm going to shut your life down. Like, what? Right, yeah, it's, yeah. Pretty pretty messed up. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, considering like this guy's again literally a billionaire, like has tons of money. Like two hundred fifty k is a drop in the bucket for this dude. Uh, like it's yeah. So yeah, and not not only wow. that. Also, this was not mentioned in the docu series at all, which I found this really interesting. Was that at the time of Kathy's disappearance, Durst had also been dating another woman, Prudence Farrow, for three years. <gasps> and what? Was and apparently Kathy was at that point mostly living in a a separate apartment. Like the two of them were barely together. They were basically separated, like not legally, but like they were basically separated. And Robert was dating another woman during this time. So like, obviously, this relationship was not doing well for a while leading up to her disappearance. This wasn't just like some like heat of the moment sort of thing. Seemingly, it's felt like you know things were going poorly for a long time between the two of them what's messed up is that like if they were clearly not together anymore mm-hmm. it, it the fact that he kind of like held her hostage by yeah taking away her credit card and mm-hmm. and paying for her school bills and stuff it's like yeah you're not together anymore why why are you doing this why do you want this like fairy tale marriage to work I mainly just for appearances, I guess, at that point. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, this it's also classic, like, abusive relationship type shit, too. Like, he has, like, yeah. this control over her, and so he's exerting that control by, you know, making her dependent on him financially, mm-hmm. you know? So, pretty bad stuff, gotta say. Yeah. You know, this is the sort of stuff that makes it pretty clear that he's not that likable of a guy. Maybe he presents himself as being sort of like a goofy little old man in the show. Like, he has got a mean streak in him for sure. Mm. Um, Yeah. So, after, you know, all this 
stuff kind of came to light. Durst initially offered a $100,000 reward for his wife's return, but then reduced it to $15,000 after a week. Um, (laughs) (laughs) A week? And then not only that, only three weeks after Kathy disappeared, the superintendent at her Manhattan apartment said that they had found her possessions in the building's trash compactor. What? Weird. Which the only person who really had access to that apartment besides Robert, or besides Kathleen, was Robert. So I wonder who could have done that. And that's, does that seem like the actions of an innocent man to me? I mean, no. I would say no. I mean, I, I, I know that's kind of a tricky area because, you know, all people react to stressful situations in different ways, but it yeah. seems suspicious to me. Like, yeah. To throw so quickly. Yeah. If, if you think she's still alive, like, why are you going to go and throw away all her shit? You know? And also, like, it's weird because in my mind, the, the, the reward for finding her should go up as time goes on. Like, yeah, not down. Like, the fact that it's going yeah. up the longer time goes by. What? This makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's it very strange. I mean, nothing this guy does is n- not strange, yeah. in my opinion. But so. Here's another little interesting wrinkle to this whole Kathleen Durst story. Uh, when one of Kathleen, uh, Kathy's friends and her sister found out that she'd been reporting missing, they went and broke into uh, the home that she shared with Robert Durst. And instead of finding her in this cottage, I believe this was the home that was in um, uh, the something Salem, South Salem or something like that. In New York, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Instead of finding her, what they found was that the cottage had already been ransacked and that Kathy's mail was all unopened and that her belongings were in the trash. Weird. So, yeah. It's like, spooky, man. All, it's all just very strange and spooky. And then all this to say that Kathy has never been found to this day. That's like the... Ugh, it just creeps you out because it's like, what? I want to know so badly. Like, I... We all know it was Robert, you know, if you, especially if you yeah. watch the whole documentary series. Mm-hmm. But like, I, right. I just like it's so scary to think about like her perspective and like what she had to experience. Yeah. And the fact that mm-hmm. no one's going to know her, like this, what the true story. Right. It's messed up. It definitely is. And as we're going to see, as we get deeper into this, like it becomes more and more clear how culpable he is in all this based Mm -hmm. on his his further actions down the line Mm -hmm. but so eventually the investigation did end into kathy's disappearance and it would be reopened later on and then Mm -hmm. at that point they would also take a look at um the home that fred dirt fred durst oh no not fred durst (laughs) (laughs) sorry fred i I hate to besmirch for your name fred you know because it's your way or the highway but (laughs) Um, Robert Durst's home that he had in Vermont, you know, which was basically where he ran the, um, or near where he used to run the health food store. They did eventually check out the grounds there because there was a lake there and stuff. And so, like, they combed the lake and stuff, but they still didn't find anything. Um, but, yeah, so, lots of investigations of this guy, but nothing really turned up for Kathy. But... Next, we need to talk about uh, Robert Durst's close friend and confidant, Susan Berman. Mm, Susan Berman. Yes. She's a big part of this 
docuseries. Yes, she's sort of like the connective tissue that's going to make all this kind of come together at the mm-hmm. end in a lot of ways. So Susan Berman, um, in case you don't know, if you haven't seen the series or, you know, whatever, is um, was a longtime friend of Robert Durst who had uh, facilitated his public alibi after Kathy's disappearance. Basically, she like said, like, oh, no, she was like one of these people who was like, oh, no, I talked to Robert that night, you know. She kept, like, sort of, like, vouching for him in a lot of ways. And also was almost in a weird, like, his sort of, like, public spokesperson. Because, again, like, Robert Durst in a lot of ways is kind of a weird dude. Sometimes doesn't come off the best. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, she would kind of speak for him a lot, which was very interesting. And she, in her own right, was sort of a well-known person. Um, she was the daughter of this guy, Davey Berman, who was a famous gangster who... um in the late 40s, operated a Flamingo Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. So mm. he was like this really well-known gangster, and she had written books about sort of being a gangster's daughter and like what that was like in the life of being the daughter of a gangster and yeah. being involved yeah. with the mob. And so she lived out in Hollywood and sort of was like trying to like make a name for herself as sort of like a uh, screenwriter and like trying to like option sort of these books and stuff she wrote into movies. And um, she went to um, one of the colleges that Robert Durst had gone to, and that's how they met and sort of became friends. Mm. Um, Robert was, he went to, I forget which colleges he went to, but he like did his undergrad for like economics and then later on tried to get his doctorate in something else. And it was at that school where he met Susan Berman and they became close friends. Um, I don't think he ever followed through with the doctorate. Eventually he like dropped out or whatever. Yeah. So that's kind of how the two of them came to meet each other. So for throughout the years, um, Susan Berman was kind of like his biggest defender, like, you know, trying to keep people from accusing her friend Bobby, you know, of Kathleen's disappearance and all that. But unfortunately for her, in uh, December 24th of 2000, Susan Berman was found murdered execution style in her home in Benedict Canyon, California. Oh my god. After her neighbors called the police to report that her back door was open and that her three fox terriers were loose running around the neighborhood. So when the police showed up, they came to find that she had been shot in the back of the head in her apartment. And then a few days later, the Beverly Hills Police Department received a handwritten note postmarked December 23rd, which contained Berman's address and wrote the word cadaver inside. That's all it said was cadaver. Mm. Oh, my God. It's chilling. It's it's just yes. like so, ah, uh, because you, you see her defend him in so many ways. And like, she's basically his only friend. Right. And and like, obviously, you kind of figure out as the series goes on that he is the one who murdered her and it's like to to literally stab her in the back like the fact that he shot her from behind Mm -hmm. it's just that's like the true definition of betrayal i mean yeah definitely although i mean it also shows like there's some weird sort of like sympathy there in his part that he like went out of his way to like sends the police like a note letting them know she was there you know yeah seemingly postmarked the day probably she was killed you know well it goes Um, back to kathleen i mean he he's the one who called the cops to to report her missing that's true it's like this weird like little hint of guilt where he needs to it's sort of like a mark of i did this in a weird way 
No, yeah, seriously. For him. It's, yeah. It's, it's it's so it's so strange, but it's also the the question comes in then is like why did he kill her? So, what's right. what's kind of get what's kind of get there? So, let's give some more yeah. background here. So, yeah. One thing that obviously makes it pretty clear that Durst probably had something to do with this was that uh, Robert was known to have been in Northern California days before Berman was killed and had flown from San Francisco to New York the night before Berman's body was found. Now, also, uh, Susan Berman had recently received $50,000 from Durst in two payments of $25,000. Although Durst confirms to the LAPD that he had sent her the money, he, um, that was the most he was willing to talk to him about it. Now, it is important to note that um, you're probably wondering, but why again? Like, sh- sure, he gave her some money, but like, what? Why would that have anything to do with it? You know, right? Like, yeah. I mean, they were friends. Like, yeah. Where's the motive? Some... Right now, here's where the motive gets interesting. It had come out recently that the investigation was being reopened into Kathleen's disappearance by um at that time um District Attorney Janine Shapiro. Mm-hmm. Or Janine Pirro, who now is like weirdly like a famous like Fox News commentator, which is like yeah. a very strange turn for her. <laughs> yeah. But um, I know it's funny because I recognized her from the news, like, but seeing her as like a, a district attorney was very strange to me. Yeah, because that that was the first I ever saw her was in the Jinx. I'm like, oh, well, she's kind of this like ballsy, you know district attorney she yeah. seems kind of cool <laughs> and then that now she's like weirdly like drunk on fox news like talking about how like coronavirus isn't real or whatever right, so yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like ooh, yeah. bit of a dark turn there for you janine but but yeah so but at that time she was doing some seemingly good stuff by opening reopening this investigation and kathleen and it had come out that she wanted to talk to susan berman about what mm-hmm. she knew about um robert durst and his connection to this case yeah mm-hmm. so and then shortly afterwards she's found dead mm-hmm. execution style in her home so mm. all of a sudden we have like some pretty strong motive here yeah that not only you know puts he we've already put him in the same state as susan at the time of her murder but on top of that, now we have a motive that also points to the possibility or further confirms that he probably had something to do with what happened to his wife, too. Because, like, mm. if you didn't, like, why would you have to go and do that? Obviously, you know something if you're trying to silence a person who could potentially talk, you mm-hmm. know? So, yeah, very, very suspicious indeed. I would have to say so myself. Yeah, definitely. So... Following this, Durst decides to sort of like live on the lamb, become sort of a, you know, what's the word? A I'm nomad? <laughs> sort of. A you wandering know, sort of traveler? Like a, a fugitive. Living as like sort of like a fugitive <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. He decides to get about as far away as he can think of physically from all this stuff. And he uh, goes to Galveston, Texas, which is sort of like down in the sort of like the southernmost sort of side of texas that's uh near the gulf of mexico it's you know on the water it's like pretty pretty far down there you know Mm -hmm. so pretty far from new york and california probably about as far as you can get while still being in the u.s so he moves to galveston texan in 
2000, which is, again, you know, the same year that uh, uh, Susan Berman was murdered. And he started living in a boarding house as he had gone into hiding and begun posing. Here's here's a really fun detail where he was posing in this boarding house as a mute old lady to sort of hide his identity. Oh, my God. It's like it was written like. It's crazy. That is so funny. Yeah, so he he went up by the identity of Dorothy Siner. It's literally Mrs. Doubtfire, but like the murder version. Yeah, so he like moves into this house and then go (laughs) makes himself a mute old lady because, you know, he felt like he couldn't disguise his voice well enough to make it seem like he wasn't a man. So he pretended <laughs> to be mute and an old lady. Oh, it reminds and just hide me. Out. It reminds me of that uh, Arrested Development scene where Michael is uh, on the phone with George Senior, and he's mm. like, and uh, Ron Howard's like, Michael briefly considered doing the voice of his girlfriend, and he's like, Oh, Rita, yeah, and he's he starts yeah, the voice and then doesn't do it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Rita's right here with me. Oh, put her on the phone. Oh, well, she's in the shower right now. Oh, wait. <laughs> but so, like, I just, like, picture Robert Durst, like, practicing the voice in, in, in his mirror and realizing yeah. that no one's going to buy it. So, like, I'll just be mute. Yeah, right. <laughs> Definitely. Whoa, so No. <laughs> and if you know Robert Durst's voice, it's like, oh, all right. Yes, I'm Dorothy Siner. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hello, sweetie. Hey, could be convincing. Oh. Yeah, I mean, listen, maybe oh, she's a smoker. Hello. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Yeah, you never so, know. So, um, so you would think, you know, living on the lam like this, you'd be trying to keep yourself out of trouble, trying to keep quiet, you know, trying to keep yourself hidden, right? Right. That's what you think we would do. Yeah, but if you were a murderer. October... Yeah, exactly. But on October 9th of 2001, uh, Durst was arrested in Galveston shortly after body parts belonging to his elderly (laughs) neighbor, Morris Black, were found floating in Galveston Bay. So basically, like, a a 13-year-old kid was, like, fishing out in Galveston Bay and, like, basically hooked a bag that had uh, Morris Black's torso in it. Oh my god. It's not, like, I have to say, I'm sorry I'm laughing. It's not funny. It's funny because, it's not funny, but it's like, you almost say hatch laugh because it's so insane. (laughs) Because, like, it's like you. why, if you're, if you're on the run from being, like, caught in these bad situations where people are getting murdered and you don't want to get framed or whatever, why would you kill someone (laughs) when you're in hiding? And your neighbor of all people, someone who you once you kill, you gotta kill. You yeah, gotta can't stop killing. killing, man. He's you, he's on he's on a streak, man. You gotta keep that streak hot, dude. If serial killers were sane, <laughs> then they wouldn't be killing people. Right. I thought about this a lot. I was thinking about this earlier, where it's like, um, um, <clears throat> or it's like, oh, serial killers always have like they're they're predictable. You know, and it's like, why don't they just get smart so they stop doing things to get themselves caught? Right. But then you're like, well, if they were sane enough to do that, they wouldn't be killing people. Mm. Probably. Yeah. That, that, that's a fair assessment. <laughs> the weird thing with Robert Durst is he's not, at least when you watch the docuseries, it feels like he's not your typical serial killer. And that his 
his murders all seem to be very sort of like motivated by self-preservation yeah as opposed yeah. to just like an impulse to kill per se you know or just like a dark impulse why did he like kill the, a neighbor did they find though out? some stuff that i found in my f- further research may suggest that, that maybe he is more a traditional serial killer who also kills mm-hmm. to uh for self-preservation but um we'll get there when we get there now so yeah there so was one thing that was different about this case um but i guess you're you're probably gonna get there no go ahead but uh, the one weird thing about the Galveston murder is that mm-hmm. he actually admitted to this one, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we'll definitely get to that part. Yeah. So this it, it's very interesting how all that stuff unfolds. But yeah. So as I said, you know, um, Morris Black, who was um, this sort of elderly neighbor who lived in like uh, the tenant house that um, Durst was hiding out in. It was basically sort of like a duplex where it's like a split down the middle like half the house is one apartment half the house is another apartment sort of situation and they had a shared hallway um and so they found out that this guy was more because they didn't they never found his head they only found his torso and like his like limbs and stuff all dismembered in different bags and stuff in the bay but they were able to figure it out because um i think inside one of the trash bags was like a bill or something that like had like the address for this guy Morris Black on it. It was like some sort of like envelope or letter where there was just enough of the ink still on it where you could see the address and the name Morris Black because that's the the only identifying information they had at that time. And then eventually, once they had that name, they took the guy's fingerprints from the hands that they found and were able to match it to this guy Morris Black. So like, okay, so obviously. This body belongs to Morris Black. We should go check out Morris Black's house. Man, I hope yeah. if I was ever dismembered, you know, that I would mm. just so happen to be carrying a bill on me that had my address and my name. Because <laughs> well, like, I'm never carrying anything on me like that. Like, what? Well, it almost seems like Robert Durst literally like took trash bags like from Morris Black's apartment and just like <laughs> threw him in there with it. Like, or like took the trash like out and like stuck him in the same bag with the trash. Like, like what? With- very, what? Like, not not the smartest criminal, although... Well, also, just, like, dehumanizing someone to the point where you can just throw them away with the rest of the trash, you know? Right, but also there's, like, this weird element to him, as we're going to see, that almost makes me feel like he wanted to get caught at a certain point, you know? Right, yeah. It's it's very weird, but, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll continue on here. So, again, so they found his body and all that, and then, so they went to the apartment, they were found blood at the scene, like pretty quickly mm-hmm. and so they investigated both apartments and they found blood in both you know the hallway and the steps and they found the part uh, blood in the second apartment which belonged to a uh, dorothy signer mm-hmm. who as we know at this point is actually robert durst pretending to be a woman mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so at that point robert durst was arrested in connection to uh, the murder of Morris Black. And he was given a bail of $300,000, which he Ooh. immediately posted. Mm-hmm. Which was very, which the investigators at the time were like, what the fuck are we doing with here? Like, no one who lives in Galveston just has three hundred k that they can just, like, drop to get bail at a moment's notice. Imagine, you know? their, imagine their reaction must have been like, what? Especially, like, someone who's living in this, by all means, like, a very modest tenant house. Like, 300 bucks a month, like, cheap, like, 
affordable housing type situation. You right. Know? No one who has 300K that they could just drop on bail would live here unless they were hiding from something, in which case. Yeah, I mean, a boarding house isn't, like, known to be nice, you know? Right. It's Some just... of money wouldn't be there. Right. Typically. That must yeah, have so. been a shocker, because I, I bet they, like, posted the bail thinking, like, or they, like, created the bail at such a high price because they're like, well, there's no way he's going to pay this yeah. bail. Yeah. And yeah, it was actually... Did, yeah, no, it was actually really funny in the docu-series because they talked to, like, a, one of the officers, like, the arresting officer or whatever, and it, he, like, s- said to Robert, like, so your bail's going to be 300 k Is it? Can you post that? It's like, he's like, do you have that money? And then Ro- Robert just was like, well, I don't have it on me. And he's like, <laughs> oh, well, are you able to get a hold of that? And he's like, yeah, just let me make a couple calls. And so he does, and then he's, like, out the next day on bail. So it's almost like if you have a lot of money, you can like rig the justice system. Yeah, it, it's definitely a different justice system for sure for people with money and people who do not. Mm. So anyway, needless to say, so he gets out on bail and then was expected to show up for a court hearing on the 16th, which he decided not to show up to. <laughs> and so he was then had a warrant out for his rest for jumping bail. I'm sorry, but like... <laughs> Matt, like, I can understand maybe like skipping, uh, like a ticket, like a car ticket for you passing a red light or whatever. Yeah, but he, but he dismembered a man. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, you wake up in the morning, you're just like, oh, that's today. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, clearly he decided for whatever reason. He's like, I'm not, I don't need to deal with this. I'm just going to uh, jump bail. Wow. So it was around November 30th, or it was on November 30th. I don't know why I said around. <laughs> on November 30th, he was caught inside a Wegmans supermarket in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, after he was caught trying to shoplift Band-Aids, a newspaper, and a chicken salad sandwich. <laughs> I've been to that Wegmans. Have you? Yeah, I used to work in Bethlehem. Oh, cool. Yeah. So... By any chance, were you there in uh, 2001? Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, I think I was on, only uh, six. November so. 30th? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. That's too bad. I was probably watching that's Monsters, Inc. or something at the time. Actually. You, you could have been You could have been there when Durst was uh, arrested for shoplifting. Man. But what makes it, what makes it stranger even still mm-hmm. is at the time that he was caught shoplifting, he had $500 in cash in his pocket. And not only that, making it weirder still... He had about $37,000 in cash in his rental car, two guns, some marijuana, Morris Black's driver's license, and then also, to make it even creepier, directions to Gaberta Najemi, if you remember, that was Kathleen's friend, who um, yeah. contacted the police about how she was suspicious of her like not coming to the bar that night when she said she was going to, after mm-hmm. you know coming to her house party when she was all frantic and upset yeah so the fact that he had directions to try to get to uh gilberta's house with two guns and a bunch of cash on him not looking very good looks very suspicious honestly like thank god that they caught him because yeah or we'd be talking about a fourth body right now yeah and who knows how many more there are like well yeah we'll get that to that later honestly Um, we will but um and then to top it all off just to make it even weirder um i guess 
you know, while he was on the lam fleeing this warrant, he had also decided, you know, I need to make myself unrecognizable. So he shaved his head and his eyebrows off. <laughs> oh, so, and there's like a picture of that mugshot, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you just picturing this like little old man with like shark eyes of like completely bald, no eyebrows. Just like <laughs> that's so messed up in the supermarket, just like shoplifting, you know, like a wiltry chicken salad sandwich for just because. Yeah, the Bobby's holding up the mugshot Ew. right now. It, yeah. it looks like Mr. Clean. I hate it. Like Mr. Clean, but like who's fallen on hard times. You yeah. Know? yeah, seriously. <laughs> Mr. Dirty. Mr. Dirty. Yeah, Mr. Dirt. Yeah, Mr. seriously. Dirt. <laughs> yeah, so. But again, that brings me back to this. Like, it almost feels like he wanted to get caught there. Because like, why would you steal this shit when you have money? Yeah. Like you have literally like 37K on you. He's just really, really dumb. There's a common theme here. He he, he drops these little hints. Yeah, these breadcrumbs or whatever. Like he's he's almost uh, it's like the tricks rabbit. He's like giving you the code backwards, and you you have to figure out my riddle. I I do think that all um (laughs) I do think that all serial killers like secretly want to get caught. Yeah, honestly, it feels like that. I feel like a lot of them are smart enough to not, but just l- like do it to get caught. Right. What's it's crazy? Like he's like, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say what's crazy about this whole story is that like you think that we're at the peak, and yet there's so much more still that's even yes. crazier. And that's what's yeah, so amazing still, about this whole thing. Yeah, we still got to talk about the trial that he's about to go undergo for Morris uh, Black's death. But yeah, so. Also, while he was on the run, it's just a little extra detail here. While he was on the run, he was also using this time to uh, stalk his brother, Douglas, who we oh. established earlier, like, um, he did not have the best relationship with. So, like, multiple times, he, like, sort of, like, would, like, pull into the driveway of uh, his brother's home in Catanaw, uh, New York. I might be saying that wrong, but, yeah, while he was armed. So, like, there's a potential here that maybe he was even considering murdering his brother. Hard to say. Uh, the state of mind this guy was in, but yeah, it not great. So luckily they uh, caught up with him before any of that could happen. Yeah, so seriously. they arrested him, and then he well was taken to jail, and again, obviously held without bail at that point because you know he violated the terms of his bail. So he had to yeah. stay there until he awaited uh, trial in uh, 2013, um, which is uh, when it started. So at, he decided to employ defense. Attorney Dick DeGarren, who was like a really famous um, defense lawyer from Texas. Um, and they took a defense of claimed self defense as their defense in this case. Yep. Yeah. So let's kind of go into that. So, um, in what world <laughs> is chopping up someone's body in any way self defense? Yeah. Well, we'll get there. So. <laughs> Before trial, though, um, DeGarren decided to hold two mock trials to prepare for the case because um, the defense team found it very difficult to communicate with Durst. Like, he was kind of like a cantankerous, like, not super helpful dude yeah. at times. So um, they hired um, a psychiatrist, uh, Milton Altschuler, or Altschuler, I might be saying his name wrong. Um, it, oh, I'm going to post this stuff to the, the Brain Bloggled so you guys can check it out, and I'll have some pictures and stuff up there, too. So definitely go check that out. It'll probably be up a little bit later this week, maybe Thursday, but... um. That's at brainbogglepodcast.com. 
rainbowgoodpodcast.com. So, yeah, so this psychiatrist uh, gave him a sort of a... Or, blah, spent 70 hours examining Durst, and at the end of that time, he diagnosed um, Robert Durst with Asperger's Syndrome, mm. which is um he had never been diagnosed with before. So, and he went on to say, um, the psychiatrist, his whole life's history is so compatible with a diagnosis of Asperger's disorder. Sort of like this, like, his weird inability to socially interact with people, some of, like, his uh, lack of empathy at times, or, like, understanding of other people's feelings. These are traits that sometimes are associated with Asperger's Mm -hmm. syndrome, or what at the time was known as Asperger's syndrome. Now it's just considered, you know... um, autistic autistic spectrum right disorder yeah. or whatever so but um at the time when they were still classifying it as that this specific subsect of it um they said that uh durst very keenly sort of like fit into these traits that like are commonly associated with asperger syndrome so that was like how they were able to sort of like shape and coach robert durst on how to act mm-hmm. in his trial so at the trial, Durst claimed that he and Morris Black, who by all accounts was sort of also a cranky and confrontational type dude, um, got into a struggle to control Durst's 22 caliber target pistol after Black grabbed it from him and placed it on him, threatening to kill him. Basically, um, what it came out was, or according to Robert, um, Morris Black sort of like had figured out who he really was. Mm-hmm. And... Then, uh, I guess, like, was trying to extort him from money, apparently, and the two of them got in an argument in his apartment, and then somehow Morris Black got a hold of his pistol, like, he, like, somehow figured out where his pistol was, and he, like, pulled it on him, mm-hmm. and so, according to Robert, they got into a struggle fighting over the gun, and in the struggle, the gun uh, went off and shot Morris Black in the face, killing him. Wow. And so, as a result, he was like, oh, well, you know, I didn't mean to kill him, but once I did, like, who was going to believe me that it was an accident? So, I had no choice but to dismember him and dispose of his body. Naturally. That's so weird. Wow. (laughs) So, on cross-examination, Durst admitted to using two paring knives, two saws, and and an axe to dismember Black's body before bagging and dumping his remains in Galveston Bay. This is... You can see why this is crazier than Tiger King. (laughs) Like, oh my god. This is crazy. It is super crazy. It's like a movie scene. Brent, didn't they make a movie about this too? We will. When we get to the part where we actually go over the actual documentary itself, I'm sort of going through this chronologically as how everything happened in the the case of uh, Robert Durst. Because the documentary, in a weird way, actually has, like, a literal, tangible effect on what happens to Robert Durst after the documentary. So that's why I kind of chose to do it this way. So the documentary, in its own way, is sort of, like, an actual important bullet point in the story of Robert Durst. Interesting, yeah. Which is really really kind of weird and meta, but it's true. Like, the documentary actually had, like, a real effect on, like, the legal implications of what happens to Robert Durst in the end. Which, weird, that's, like, the goal, of a documentary yeah. you know like that's the the dream documentary is for it to actually have an effect on whatever the thing is you're talking about in a lot sure in some cases maybe not all cases but yeah so but, um yeah but um prosecutors and police knew that they were in trouble when on cross-examination of robert durst 
as they were sort of asking him questions about, you know, what he was doing there and stuff, like, for example, when he sort of, like, explains to the jury that he was hiding in Galveston as a woman, as a mute woman, because, like, who would believe he could be a woman? Like, the the jury started laughing. Like, they... Mm. It became really clear that the jury was actually, like, really sympathizing with this guy, and he sort of liked him and thought he was funny. That's what he does which, to you. Yeah. <sighs> he is... Which, he's, like... He's charming. <laughs> yeah, he's so, charming! Like, he's charming! Yes. <laughs> so, as a result of um, the lack of fr- forensic evidence, quote-unquote, the jury acquitted Durst of murder on November 11th of 2003. So, like, barely a month later... Like, he's, like, acquitted of murdering this guy who, like, he literally shot, admitted to shooting in the head, though, by, according to him, by accident, quote-unquote, and then fully dismembering the body and disposing of it. Like, it's, it's just, I mean, this is, like, what makes this docuseries so insane and crazy. Like, when have, have you ever heard that, ever? There's no words. Like, there's no reaction that's appropriate. It's just like, What? Like, how do you get acquitted for that? It's insane. Now, he eventually was convicted in relation to this crime for um, two counts of bail jumping, you know, from fleeing the police after Mm -hmm. posting bail. And then one on um, what they considered evidence tampering, I put in quotes, which was basically him dismembering the body of Morris Black. They called that evidence tampering. That's weird. Yeah, so he he put in a plea bargain where he received a sentence of five years and was given credit for time served, requiring him to only serve three years in prison because of the time he spent in jail awaiting oh, trial. Yeah, so they considered yeah. that time served. So he only had to do three years in prison. Mm. And he was um released even earlier than that. Basically, like a year later, he was paroled for, you know, good behavior or whatever. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there was a point I think he did end up going back because he was his the terms of his parole said he like he had like stay in a certain area and then like he came back to like the house in Galveston for some reason so like he had to go back to jail for like another couple months or something because <laughs> this guy just like can't help himself for some reason but do stupid shit yeah like that so yeah I don't know man it's it's wild what do you guys it's think the of all br- that it's the brain thing I'm telling you it's the <laughs> It's the fact that sane people don't kill other people, so everything else they do is insane, too. Yeah. I just think that there's part of it, though, that's just on purpose. Like, he he loves it. It's like a game to him. Yeah, the whole thing's on purpose, because he's a crazy man. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he's a crazy man who was born with extreme privilege, so, I mean. Yeah. I don't know. He's just, it's such an such like an interesting character in like a morbidly fascinating way you know yeah definitely so this is now going to bring us to the documentary where, where you know in 2010 but actually before the documentary happens um this guy andrew jarecki who is the director of the documentary series first directed this um 2010 film called all good things starring ryan gosling and kirsten dunst mm-hmm. which was basically a dramatization of you know, the story of Kathleen Durst and Robert Durst. Yep. Um, but um, Jarecki, like, said in interviews and stuff that, like, he didn't want to do, like, the, sort of, like, the, like, sensationalized, you know, Hollywood version of the story. He wanted to stay yeah. as true to the characters themselves and, like, not try to sensationalize the story at all. 
I mean, which you don't really need to. Like, if I, I've seen the movie, I don't. I'm assuming neither of you guys have seen the dramatized version. I have not. Oh, um, I have not. But it's pretty good. I would say worth a watch. Um, it's it's like a B plus movie. It's pretty yeah. good. Um, but in in the movie, um, they sort of a it sort of starts with the trial of a uh, Robert Durston Galveston, and it sort of like bounces back and forth mm-hmm. between the Galveston trial and sort of like flashbacks to like him with Kathleen and that whole story. It's yeah. pretty interesting. They do he does a pretty good job with it. But um I guess um Robert Durst saw this film and really liked it and thought that uh Andrew Directly really sort of like captured him in a way that he thought was like I don't know, like favorable to him and then like make him seem like a crazy person or something. Right. Like you like you he, watch the movie and you feel sympath- sympathetic for him. Maybe right, yeah. Like you, you sort of like he felt like he could really relate to the portrayal that uh, his movie did for him. So he decided to contact Andrew directly, directly, and ask him to make a documentary with him about his life, so that he could get something out in the world that was his side of things, as he would say, because he felt like all the he never really publicly spoken about any of the stuff. That mm. happened with him and Kathleen or whatever. He, like it was all just kind of. Wait. He was sort of. Let's go ahead. So so Durst contacted this filmmaker to make a documentary. Yes. Oh. Yeah, he was basically like, you don't have. You can ask me anything you want. I'm. I want to tell my side of the story here. So he reached out to Andrew directly he re- to get directly. to get the jinx made. Yeah. Yes. Oh and little did he God. know of what he was about to get himself into, or maybe he did. I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard so to say hard to tell. It's it's crazy. It's the relationship between Jarecki and Robert Durst is so interesting to watch throughout the documentary because, mm. like, trying to get him uh, set up with interviews and like he he keeps like disappearing for like months mm. on end, and and then he'll show up again and. It's just so interesting watching it all unfold, especially because Robert Durst is the one who instigated it in the first place. Yeah, seriously, right. that's so weird. Right, yeah. I, I think maybe Robert thought that the documentary would just be sort of like Robert Durst saying what he his side of the story, and that would be the documentary. Probably yeah. not realizing that Jarecki also went around talking to like all the people involved in the investigations. And yeah, mm-hmm. friends of Kathleen's and like friends of Susan Berman's and family members and like all these people around the case, not just him. And so when you hear from all these other people and all the stuff surrounding it, he looks guilty as fug. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, seriously. But yeah, so Robert Durst, you know, came to Jarecki wanted to get his side of the story out because at that point, like, uh, Robert Durst was sort of known as sort of like a tabloid figure. His cases became pretty famous, you know, mm-hmm. like his wife's disappearance and then Susan Berman's death, which at, at the, initially wasn't really connected to him until he was then on trial in Galveston for more, uh, Morris Black's death. And then that's around the time when people started to like, sort of connect those dots, you know? Yeah. So this guy was like, a pretty well-known tabloid figure at the time, but he personally had never really spoken publicly about any of it until this documentary came. Yeah. To me. So in 2015, the six-part HBO documentary series, The Jinx, colon, The Life and Deaths of Robert Durst, was released. And um, eventually, as a result of the documentary, um, circum- uh, it 
created circumstantial evidence linking Durst to the murder of Berman, who was believed to have known knowledge of uh, Kathleen's disappearance. This goes back to that cadaver note, right? Yep. So that kind of brings us to sort of like that evidence that would link um, Robert Durst more concretely to um, her death, which was that on the the quote-unquote cadaver note, um, the address for uh, Kathleen, or sorry, the address for Susan Berman had uh, the city Beverly Hills on it, but it was... One, everything was written in these sort of like block letters, as you know, block, block letters. letters. It's just block <laughs> letters, as he would, as uh, Robert Durst would go to say later. But um, yeah, so it had Beverly Hills and like all the address spelled in block letters. But then also Beverly Hills was spelled wrong, was being spelled L E Y at the end, which Beverly Hills is actually spelled B E V E R L Y. There's no E in between the L and Y. Well, so well, on the first cadaver of all, note, people writing block letters. It's it's just block letters. You can't. There's no significance in block letters. They're all the same, and people yes. spell Beverly wrong all the time. But then, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's, that's, that's the experience right there, though. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my god. When we get there, but um. So that's important to remember because in the docu series, in the last episode. Like, the whole series is basically they, like, talk about, you know, like, everything that happened to, you know, Kathleen's disappearance, Susan Bergman's death, the Morris Black trial, and his eventual acquittal. And then, at the end of the series, sort of, um, Robert, as, um, Bobby, our, our little bee just mentioned, uh, Robert sort of, like, goes into the wind and sort of disappears for a while. I think he maybe sort of caught winds that, like, maybe this documentary was not going to be as favorable to him as he thought it was. Because I think maybe they had sort of, like, already shown him some stuff that they had found that was, like, suspicious. And then he sort of, like, peaced out for a while. But then um, Robert Durst went and got himself in trouble again with his brother. Because his brother had went and filed a restraining order against him. Because he was worried that um, Robert was going to kill him, probably. I mean, let's yeah. be real. So, Robert violated that restraining order by showing up to his uh, house in New York and kind of, like in a very creepy scene in the documentary where he kind of keeps walking up and down his stoop. Like he has, yeah. like, uh, Douglas has sort of like, you know, like a, a nanny cam type thing or something like on the front door. I forget what you would call those. Um, they're pretty popular now, but basically like a little mm. like security camera on the front door. And it's just like Robert just walking up to the front door then sort of walking back down, walking back up a little bit, mm. walking down, walking back up, getting like looking around. So like inside and walking back down and eventually leaving. It's super creepy. It's it's so scary. It just makes you think of yeah. like, um, do people do that like, to me? And like, what's going through his head? Like, why is he planning there? It's just, oh, it's very creepy. And yeah. so he gets in trouble for violating the restraining order. And then I think he was maybe arrested again. I forget exactly the details of that part, but um, mm-hmm. he gets in trouble again. And so it's after that when he decides, you know what? I'm going to go talk to Andrew Jarecki again and be like, I'll, I'll I'll answer your your last questions that you have because um the reason why I answered directly wanted to ask him more questions and was sort of hunting Robert down after he went into the wind was because um this guy um Sarah Kaufman who was uh, the stepson of Susan Berman's had uh, contacted the filmmakers when um he found materials that were um left by his stepmom Susan Berman after her murder and one of these materials in particular 
had highlighted an envelope that was written by Robert Durst to Susan Berman in March of 1999. And the envelopes were written in identical block letters, Mm -hmm. handwriting, with the matching misspelling of the word Beverly Hills with the extra E in between the L and Y. And when you look at the, again, this will be in the uh, brain bloggled on uh, brainbogglepodcast.com. We will we'll have like the side by side and it's like unmistakable. Like it's hard to believe that anybody else could have written this, but the same person. And yeah. we know for a fact, one of them was written by Robert Durst. So kind of hard to get around that one. Yes. Yeah, so when they, uh, Sarah had brought this to him, the filmmakers had like taken this evidence and like put it in a safety deposit box box. Mm-hmm. And then when they were able to finally secure that second interview with Robert, um, they took it back out to confront him with it. Yep. So in the interview, they're sort of just kind of, they kind of slow play it a little bit. They're kind of like going through all stuff like, oh, here's some pictures. Can you tell us what these are about? Like, oh yeah, that was when me and Kathy got married. Um, yep, that's me and Susan, whatever, whatever. And then finally they come to this picture like, okay, so this is so we got this, um the, the cadaver note, right? You know, it's like, yep, there it is, you know, block letters. And you see that the Beverly Hills is misspelled. It's like, oh, sure, yep, yep, there's an E there. That's right, yep, that's misspelled. And then they take out the letter from Robert Durst and then show him that one. And immediately, the whole tone of the interview changes. Like, he almost, like, immediately, like, his, like, the skin under his eyes, like, turns, like, red mm. and flushed. <laughs> and he starts just, like... Like like making like weird like guttural burping noises like no well and then he like he goes on to like try to deny and be like you know that's where the whole it's just block letters thing comes from (laughs) Sam trying to like dismiss the whole thing away being like it's not a big deal it's just block letters Um, people misspell Beverly Hills all the time and then finally they show him a picture with just the two Beverly Hills next to each other and directly asks. Can you tell me which one of these you wrote? And he just sits there and says, no, I can't. Because they're exactly the same. Yes. Like, it's, so, it's the graphology is, like, undeniable. Like, you can see. It's like a font. It's like we typed it out, like the same fonts, you know? And and, the, and he's defending himself so hard. As it's, it's just block letters. Like, all block letters are the same. But at the same time, like, doing this all the while, like, getting so flushed and, like, the weird... He's like, it's, like he's, it's like he's gonna throw up, you know? It's, like, yeah, so... Yeah, that's super weird. Yeah, it's so, such a visceral reaction. So you're already, like, watching this, you're already kind of, like, so intrigued, and you're like, oh my god, this is it. This is the reaction that Jericho was, like, looking for. But then it goes a whole step further. But then at the end of it, they're like, all right, well, thank you, Robert. Um, they're like, at the end, they're like, so you want to take a sandwich with you or whatever? He's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. He gives it to like <laughs> his like handler or whatever. And he's like, I just got to go to the bathroom real quick. And he goes into the bathroom, forgetting that he's still wearing his microphone. Uh... And while he's in the bathroom, he says the following things. Now, I'll do it in my Robert Durst voice. Please do. Again. <laughs> Please do. There it is. You're caught. You're right, of course. But you can't imagine. Arrest him. I don't know what's in the house. Oh, I want this. What a disaster. He was right. 
I was wrong. And the burping. I'm having difficulty with the question. <laughs> what the hell did I do? Killed them all, of course. It's so uh, weird. And, and, it's and so weird. All the while, it's just <laughs> the static shot of the interview room. Well, like yeah. while everyone's leaving and like shutting off the lights, and it's just the audio. I think yeah. Brent, that was so good. Your recreation it's, of that. <laughs> it's chilling. It's honestly chilling, like to see it happen. Yeah. It, and all the while, like in the meanwhile, he's make, making these weird guttural noises too. I I wasn't gonna do those, you know. He's like, Ugh, like making these like, crazy. <laughs> Crazy! It's like demon sounds. It's like it's it's like if like Satan himself was trying to clear his throat. It's like wild sounds he's making at the same time. I'm like, what is happening right now? It's so crazy. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll link to the video of the of the. Yeah, we'll put a YouTube link because you you should watch sure. it. Like it is, oh my god! It's just like you can't even believe that this is real. And it's like you said yeah. earlier, Brent. Like the the sort of meta narrative of this documentary is like. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're watching this guy get caught in mm-hmm. the documentary that's about him. So, like, you you're watching the telling of this story the whole time, and then yeah. and then in the telling of the story, like it's interrupted by the story itself, and yeah, you see the not the ending, but like this big uh sort of part of the story that you wanted to see, which is him getting caught red-handed. He literally says then, you're caught. Yeah, and then like literally admitting to it on microphone while talking to himself when he thinks he's by himself in the bathroom. It's just yeah. you can't write that shit. It's like so crazy. Yeah. It's yeah, it seriously is. It's underrated. It needs to be seen more by more people. Yeah. So hopefully if you haven't watched it, you know, you decided to watch it before listening to this. But if not, like, you know, it's still it's still worth a watch because it's just like craziness. And anyway, I don't know. So, I think you did a good job telling the story, Brent. I almost felt like I was watching the documentary. Yeah. So, but the, here's the thing. That's not even where the story ends. So that's where the documentary ends. Okay. But, and I don't know anything you know, past this, but at this point, you know, five years have passed since that documentary's ended. So a few days after the final episode, of the jinx aired a first degree murder warrant was signed and issued in los angeles by a judge in relation to the berman killing and then durst was arrested by the fbi on march 14th in 2015 in new orleans where he had registered under a false name everett ward so basically he was like in hiding again and then like as soon as the documentary came out and this evidence from the documentary came out of like him and the cadaver note and the beverly hills misspellings with the uh analysis from you know the handwriting experts and stuff basically yeah. they felt like they had enough evidence to issue a warrant for his arrest in connection to susan berman's murder so in addition to a 38 uh revolver loaded with four live rounds and one spent uh, sh- uh shell casing police recovered five ounces of marijuana birth, uh, birth certificate and passport maps of louisiana florida and cuba and a flesh-toned latex mask and the fake Texas ID used to check into the hotel, a new cell phone, and cash totaling $42,631 on him at, in New Orleans when they found him. He had all this stuff on him. Seemingly like he was probably going to try to make a break for it. based on A latex that. mask? 
a flesh-toned latex mask. So I'm, I'm just trying to picture, like, what that... I'm, like, picturing almost like the uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, like, green man suit, but, like, mm-hmm. flesh-colored yeah. in latex. Like, how creepy is that? <laughs> it's oh my so God. disturbing. It's kind of like the uh, George George Michael wearing the uh, the suit when he has to be Dave, uh, David or whatever. For the, oh, the yeah, painting. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure the nude suit or whatever. He's like yeah. the muscly. I mean, yeah, yeah. And then um, people also discovered a UPS tracking number, which led to an additional $117,000 in cash and a pair of shoes in a package sent to Durst by a friend from New York. So I guess he had some friend like sending him money stuffed into a pair of shoes. <laughs> to try yes. to probably help him flee the country. Wow. Um, yeah. So, Los Angeles County uh, Deputy District Attorney John Lewin, who was in charge of prosecuting Durst, claimed to have found information uncovered by uh, the filmmakers from the HBO documentary. So, like, the HBO documentary basically, like, shared what they had found with the prosecutors, and they used this to um, go after him. Mm -hmm. And so, funny detail, um, Durst, before um, going on trial in his... uh, when he's being interviewed by police after being arrested, claimed that everything he said during the documentary, he was high on meth the entire time. So you can't take anything he said seriously because he was on meth. Uh, That's insane. Which, I I don't know. I mean, the whole like crazy dilated pupils thing makes me wonder about that. But um, my guess yeah. is he probably, even if he was, I'm pretty sure everything he said was true. Um, yeah, I mean, he's clearly like sound. His his he's sound of mind like a little bit, you know. Yeah, like, you can tell he's got some stream of consciousness that makes sense during the interviews. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I don't know what to make of the whole him maybe being on meth thing, but that's just an, a little detail there for you. Take for what it's worth. So then there's the new trial. So he's currently on trial now for the suit. Uh, the murder of Susan Berman. Mm-hmm. So this trial was originally sk- scheduled to begin in uh, 2017, but um, was delayed due to, um, excuse me, due to uh, Durst having to undergo quote unquote serious surgery before he could attend trial. Hmm. And so an additional uh, conditional hearing was convened in February, 2017, where Nick Shavin Durst's close friend and the best man at uh, Shavin's wedding testified that Durst had confessed to him to having murdered Berman. Mm. So he's going to be one of the star witnesses in this case and has uh, testified in a preliminary hearing to uh, having heard from Robert himself that he murdered Susan Berman. So that's a little interesting detail um, that came out there. But through... Out the past, like, three years, there's just been, like, delay after delay of the case from, like, you know, different motions from um, Robert Durst's defense attorneys. And, you know, at one point, like, they got, like, a stay because, like, Robert Durst's attorney's home was, like, destroyed in Hurricane Harvey. Like, a bunch of some weird things happened. And so the the trial finally started on March 2nd of this year when, um, Unfortunately, now the trial has been postponed again because of COVID-19. So that is where we're at now. What? So the trial the trial started and then had to be postponed again because, you know, the world shut down for yeah, the seriously. pandemic. So 
That's um, where we are currently at in the Robert Durst saga of all this. But also, one last little tidbit I wanted to get to before we all wrap it up here today is that Robert Durst has also been connected in three other potential disappearances. Mm. Which is what leads to sort of me saying before that, like, maybe he is actually a serial killer who also kills people when it affects his, you know, yeah. freedom. It just so happens that the only ones that we have evidence for are the ones in the show. Right. There's three others that um have, like, tangential connections, but they're kind of hard to confirm. And so I didn't put too much details because really they're, like, there's not enough evidence yet to really say for sure, but they are suspicious. So there was 18-year-old Lynn Schultz from a Midbury, Vermont, who was known to frequent the uh, health food store mm-hmm. that he owned, who, when she was last seen alive, was at the health food store oh, where man. Robert Durst was working, and then she was never seen again. So sure, last time she was seen was um, at his store, and never again. So this was back in the 70s, I think 71, I believe, she went missing. So then there was a 16-year-old uh, Karen Mitchell from uh, Eureka, California, who also went missing, and she was, you know, in and around the area at the time of uh, Robert Durst being in California at some time in the same area. So that one seems to me the most like circumstantial, mm-hmm. hard to say. Um, they didn't go into too much detail on the wiki page, and I didn't research it much further than that because I want to focus more on the other stuff. And then also there was 18 year old uh, Kristen. Modif- Modifari, um, Modifari, something like that, who was a last seen in San Francisco in 1997, again, around the time when Robert Durst was around. Oh, he was like there visiting Susan Berman or something mm. and had some sort of connection to her and then went missing when Robert Durst was around. So, a lot of suspicious mm. stuff around this guy. Obviously, the yeah. three that we mainly talked about it feels pretty certain that he definitely killed all three of them. Morris Black, the most definitely, because he admitted to it. <laughs> um, and Susan Berman feels pretty certain. And Kathleen, I feel pretty certain that he definitely yeah, murdered seriously. her. So, yeah, that is the story of Robert Durst. So, it's a, it was a pretty a pretty wild ride, gotta say. Yeah, that's... yeah, we'll have to update this one when his trial is over, if it ever is. Yeah, it's yeah, just gonna keep getting delayed until he's dead. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, he's, I believe, 77 years old now, and the last picture yeah. I saw of him, he looked frail. Like, yeah. he looked... Yeah. I mean, he already looks like a little old man in the docuseries, but he looked, like, sickly to me. Even worse. Kind of like, yeah. He looked gaunt in the face in, like, a way that was just <laughs> like, ooh, you, you're not looking too good there, buddy. I don't know. Yeah, he's so. looking like he's uh, he's at the end of his of his uh, rope. Yeah, yeah there, he, so. he's starting to look like the Emperor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's got that just sort of, like, this this just like the skin is hanging off his face yeah 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 it's just dis- disrupting disrupting yeah, yeah you're, you're, you're a disruptor buddy <laughs> i'm a disruptor in this podcast oh Bobby's final disruption it's my final yeah, disruption so. <laughs> wow all right yeah well thank you for listening guys this was i think our first remote session went pretty well yeah remote. pretty good yeah i gotta say yeah we didn't lose internet Yep, we yeah. um, strong connections by all. My my, my <laughs> thing's still recording, so that's good. Yeah, and uh, I can see the little ticker on mine still going. So, <laughs> cool. 
<laughs> nice, nice. I'm really excited for the next episode because um, it's about synesthesia. And yeah, so yeah, we'll we'll kind of give the little primetime tease now. Yeah, because uh, yeah, th- this one was suggested by a viewer, um, uh, eager emailer E sent us this one. Thank you so much for <laughs> sending that. Um, I can't remember. She said it was okay for us to use her name on on um, pod, so we'll just call her E for now. Yeah, um, I don't know but, if she mentioned it. Yeah, I asked in the email. I don't know if she answered that or not. She might oh, have just yeah, missed that okay. part. But um, yeah, so I'm really excited for this episode because she sent us like a bunch of like audio logs of her answering some of the questions I had for her and like a really cool slideshow that we'll share like in the brain bloggle when that episode comes out. But it's a really cool episode. And also just like any of you guys out there who like have interesting topics that you want to share with us, just email us at brainbogglepodcast at gmail.com because we love that shit. We have like we do. six new like podcast ideas just from like emailers, which is great because i'm like oh hey here's this thing i've never heard of i want to look more into this you know that's what it's all about that's why we started it we, we wanted to learn things that we don't know and um definitely yeah it's been great to hear from you guys it's been great to see our numbers going up again mm-hmm. Woo! another month up yeah boys Woo! yeah so go check out <laughs> our social news. media go check out our website and uh follow us on everything and uh thank you so yeah. much for being a listener yeah definitely also one last little pitch here um um, if you haven't already, something that can really help us out is just leave a review. If you have, um, if you listen through uh, iTunes or Apple Podcast or whatever, even if it's just you go and hit the little five star, that really helps us get up in the algorithm. So, like, if you don't feel like writing anything, that's cool. I know based on the numbers, there's a lot of you who listen to on Apple Podcasts who have not given us that five star. So, just like take a second, go in there. Leave a little five star. If you want to write something, that'd be dope. If not, it's cool. Just leave the five star. It really helps out. Yes. All right, guys. Absolutely. I think it's time to sign off. I think it yes. is. Thank you so this much is for joining us. the latest we've ever recorded. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> oh, man. All right, we love you guys. Right. I'm ready to go play Final Fantasy and eat dinner, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's about dinner time. Thank you for All listening. Right. Bye. 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 Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Wait. 
Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis, The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.